0: You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Paul writes Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. This is the place where each Sunday we've had someone who's been able to come up and share with you their personal testimony of their own freedom and their own deliverance. And they have been very, very powerful, powerful uh, testimonies that have come from many of you in the seat. And today will be a little bit different in that... um, Jan did such a great job with forgiveness last week, uh, and I really appreciated her testimony, uh, but I also alluded to the fact that I would, at some point in all of this, try to share some of my testimony with you, and so that is what I'm going to attempt to do today. For me, sharing a testimony is a very vulnerable place, Uh, and not just because I'm your pastor, but because there is a lot of pain there. And it is, it, I find it very difficult. I can preach to you all day long, and I love to do that, but to just talk to you about the walk that I have walked out over my childhood and into my early adult life is a very difficult thing for me. And this is one reason I think that I so appreciate all of your testimonies is because I understand what, it, what is involved in standing up in front of a group of people and becoming very transparent and open Uh, and honest, and being able to share with people, ultimately, the pain you've gone through, but then to the place where God has seen you in that place, met you there, and brought you on the other side of that, and you have found freedom uh, in Christ. That's a powerful, powerful story. Everyone has a story of some type um, and, and I hope that more and more of you will be willing to give your stories as we continue through this series. Um, so if you will permit me for a few minutes here this morning and, and sort of labor with me, I, I want to share a little, uh, just a little portion of, of my testimony. And start by saying to you that when I was growing up as a small child, my life was very difficult for me. And a lot of the difficulty was unseen and unheard and even unknown to others because so much of the pain that I was going through, I kept inside of me. As a small child, I bottled everything deeply inside of me and never intended to share it with anyone. I lived a life as a small child, very overwhelmed with the reality that I would carry these things my whole life and that these are things I could never tell anyone because no one would ever understand. You see, I believed a lie, even as a very small child, and that was that I was different. I was defective in some way. I, I didn't fit like everybody else did, and I could never tell my secret. I could never share it with anyone. And there were a number of things that, that precipitated that sort of uh, deception Uh, and that personal identity in my life. Some of them are very, very difficult to talk about um, and and very risky to talk about. Uh, But all through my growing up years, I felt as though I had been set aside. I had been discarded in some way. Uh, Not like set aside for a noble purpose when I grew up, but set aside in the sense that I had no value, that there was nothing about me that was worth holding on to, or investing in, or caring about. As I grew up, those things became reinforced through events and circumstances along the way. Uh, Bullying was one of those things that in the early years affected me dramatically. Um, But there were events that happened that were particular to me as it relates to my earthly father, And those were things that reinforced the beliefs that I had begun to believe about myself. When I was a young teenager, I sent in some artwork. I I was told by lots of people that I was gifted. And uh, and I loved drawing. I loved painting. This was my outlet. It was something I could do and express myself uh, in ways that I couldn't with anyone else. And... um, And I I took a risk, even though I was already feeling the message that was coming to me was one that you'll never amount to anything, you'll never be worth anything, you aren't any good, uh, you wouldn't be the chosen one. And I wasn't the chosen one in my family. My younger brother was the chosen one. Uh, And so I lived outside of of that privilege, if you will, uh, with my own earthly father. But I took a risk and sent him some of my artwork to a, a Boston school, um, and uh, a gentleman uh, drove down from uh, the Boston Art Institute to talk to my family about my future. And, of course, my dad refused to speak with this man and uh, walked away, just said, nope, I have nothing to say to you and uh, would not talk to him. And uh, it was devastating for me because it was something that I had taken such a huge risk to do to put myself out there uh, and then to have it all just discounted with just a simple, no, I won't say anything to this man. Uh, On your behalf, I felt as though I had no one, uh, no advocate for me, no person on my side, no one for me. It seemed that everything was against me. I remember after the man left and he looked at me and said, I'm really sorry, son, that's too bad. That's unfortunate. And uh, he had an envelope, a file with what I had sent to to the school with him, and uh, he put it under his arm and walked out and got in his car and drove away. I was devastated, and so I took a walk. That's what I did oftentimes when I couldn't understand things, was I would walk, and uh, I walked down the the dirt path of our little home in South Georgia, and uh, as I was walking down the path, I happened to glance over in the ditch, and it started to rain a little bit, and so there was some wetness on the ground there and, and in the ditch, and there in the ditch lay the file, and there was the things that I had risked sending that were mine. And I remember as a, little, as a young boy thinking, that is my life. My life is in the ditch. And that's the way my life will be. I'm like a piece of trash lying in a ditch. And I began to believe that. When my father didn't show up for my graduation from high school, it reinforced that reality that there was nothing for me and I had no value. When my father refused to come to my wedding, uh, it reinforced deeply that my life and my future didn't matter to him. And so it was a very difficult, difficult process of trying to not hate. Hate is a powerful passion, a powerful emotion, a very poisonous one. Even as a child, I understood hate, and I didn't want that to be my life. And so I tried to fight that, but at the same time, very much um, struggled with it. Fast forward, my wife and I were thrilled to have our first child, a son. I thought, I'm going to be such a different dad than my dad. I'm going to be the best dad you can possibly be. And I tried so deeply to love my son and, and love him in every way that I could and tell him how much I loved him. Uh, at two years of age, uh, we took a trip down to Georgia to see my family. Um, I, I had an invitation to preach in a church there, and we went. And, but I had a mission. I was going on a mission. I had become so angry that I could not hear God very well. And I had become self-righteous and religious, and I was determined that it was my role and responsibility to stand up to my father and tell him what an awful and horrible human being he was and to straighten him out and to confront him with the truth of the gospel that he was wrong and that he never should have done those things to me, and I was walking totally outside of God's will because I was so angry, even though I was preaching the gospel and praying to God and trying to love God and trying to be a good dad and trying to do, do, do all these things and perform in all of these kinds of ways that would tell everybody that I'm okay, even though deep inside that message was still there, you are the defect, you are the problem, you are whatever words you would want to put there. And so we went down. I think my wife understood kind of what I was about to to attempt to do, and I think she was mortified at the whole thing and scared to death. But we went, and I remember getting a phone call in my father's home. You see, I walked into my father's house with my son, And my wife, and there sat my father in the chair that he sits in, in the room that he sits in that's very dark, and the paneling on the wall is a really dark, dark brown, and the curtains are always closed, and there are not very many lights on, and that's where he sits, and he doesn't talk to anyone hardly, and he certainly doesn't talk to me, and that was just the way our life was, he was there, but he wasn't there, and it was a very difficult thing to understand. Why wasn't he there for me? Those were the kinds of questions that I asked God and did not get answers to. And so then we were there, and once again, as an adult man, I walk into the room, and there he sits the way he always sat when I was a little boy, and the same kinds of emotions start to come over me, and it's very difficult. And I put my stuff in the room that I had slept in and grew up as a young boy, and I walked around the room and looked at everything and laid our luggage out and checked my luggage to see that I had the papers that I needed to have in there for The the event at the church and all of that. And then I got a phone call and, and, and this was long before the days of cell phones. And so my dad said, there's a call for you on the phone. And he walked out and the phone was laying on the counter there. Uh, off the ringer and I picked it up and talked and it was the pastor of the church and he said so excited to have you here it's really wonderful that you're going to be here we're so excited for what you're bringing to us and is there anything you need and I said no I've got everything I'm ready to go it'll be great to see you on Sunday do you want to meet before or anything no I trust you completely you got it so it's going to be great and I thought this is redemption you know this is something where I'm going to come back and I'm going to be able to to share and minister, and, and this this is a good thing for me, but God, I still have, I have something I have to do, and you know that I have to do it, and, and I, I need to get that done, you know. And um, so I went back into the bedroom, and I decided that I needed to check just to make sure I had the outlines for the, the sermon series for that weekend, and uh, they were not there for some reason or other. I couldn't find them. I don't know what happened. I packed them, but I couldn't find them. And I thought, wow, I, this is not good. And so I said, God, I'm, I'm a little anxious now, and I need you to help me because I think I'm going to have to rewrite this whole series here. I can do that. I know I can do that, and I can do it in short order, but it's going to take a little bit of effort. And I, I, please just help me and let me focus right here. And I clearly, as I've ever felt anything in my own heart, I felt God speak to me and say, go ask your father to pray for you. and I said no. <laughs> Not going to do that, you know. Obviously I'm listening to the devil. I rebuke you Satan in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I was very good at doing that. <laughs> and uh it came again? No, you need to go and ask your dad to pray for you. I said, I can't do that. You know I can't do that. I could never do that. I, don't, I, I doubt he would even pray for me. I'm not going to ask him to do I've asked him for things all my life, God. All my life, I just asked for a few things, and I never got them. Why would I do that now? Why, why would you ask me to do that now? And God said, you need to go and ask your father to pray for you. And I wrestled with that so hard, and and I Gave in, and I said, Okay, this is about the stupidest thing I've ever heard of and could ever do, but I'm gonna go do it. And I walked out into that dark room and I looked at my father and I said, Hey, I, I don't mean to bother you, but I, like I can't find some of the stuff that I need for church on Sunday. And uh, hey, would you just pray for me? Uh, could, could we just pray? And would you just pray about this with me? And he said, Yeah, uh, let's. Pray. Where, where do you want to pray? And I'm, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't actually. I don't want to pray. That's what. I, that's what I wanted to say. I don't want to pray. I don't want to do this. And and I said, by your bed. My parents had a king size bed, and we went to his bed, and he knelt down by his bed. I, that must be was his like prayer posture. I went to the other side. That's why I said, you're bad, because I knew whatever side he gets on, I'm going to the other side, and there's a safe space between the two of us. And I knelt down, and and I was just going to quietly pray and just be done and, and move on. And he started to pray out loud for me. And I heard a man I didn't know I heard a man I'd never heard before. I heard a man that cared about me, loved me, but had never been able to say it or express it. I didn't close my eyes. I didn't bow my head. My my fingers were tight on the blanket on the bed, and I knelt there, and I watched him as he knelt over and prayed, and I just stared at him. I was like, I don't know you. But God, I was wrong. And you are good. And I I don't know what to do with this exactly, but this is enough. Like, I can go home. Like, I'm okay. I'm going to be all right. And I can go home. And my dad finished his prayer, and I said, thank you, and I did the services on the weekend, and it was really great, and everything was wonderful, and my home in South Georgia is like Grand Central Station, and there's like 20 to 30 people there all the time, and my parents cook for everybody, and it's just a big, big thing, uh, and everybody gets lost there in their house, and it's not a small house, not a big house, but they're, it's just the way they are, you know, they're, they're, it's just the culture, and it's beautiful and, and lovely. And so that night because we had done this ministry at the church my parents had invited the entire church and A lot of the neighborhood and other people to come over and they were cooking all kinds of great southern food And it was really wonderful. And so we were in the living room that night and i'm like, okay god I I I did the series and I think it came off all right And my dad's prayed for me and I know he loves me and wow I'm ready to pack my bags and go home and uh I looked around I turned and I looked and my dad was on the floor on his all fours and my 2-year-old was on his shoulders and he was playing with my 2-year-old and I became so angry You never did that with me You never played ball with me You never you never took me anywhere This is how I saw it, in my head, in my hurt, in my woundedness. That's how I saw it. You didn't come to my graduation. You didn't come to my wedding. You embarrassed me. You shamed me. Uh, and, And you are playing with my son. That's my son. And you are playing with him. You're doing what I wanted, and you're doing it with my son. And I wanted to just take my son. It was such an awful moment in my life. And the pastor was standing next to me. And he looked at me and he said, Bill. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And he said, there are people just, t- t- they're talking about the services and they're just raving about how God used you. And-, and it was such a, like a, he says, I have no better word than prophetic time. And some of these people are mad with me because they think I told you things about their lives. Uh, and it's just crazy. And it's really, it was really good. And I'm just so proud of you. Thank you. So here's a man I don't even hardly know. And he's telling me how proud he is of me. And here's my dad over here playing with my son, but he never played with me. And then the most amazing moment of redemption happened. My dad took my son off his shoulders and... He had had some heart attacks, so it was a bit difficult for him to to get up and get stabilized. But as soon as he got up, he looked at me, he looked me square in the eye. And he said, I'll never forget it. Yeah, you did good. And then he said to me, I am so proud of you. That was one moment in my life that I lost the sense of who was in the room. I shook inside of me so intensely. And you see, that's what I really wanted. I just wanted somebody to be proud of me. And in that moment, I found redemption. And God used the most unique circumstances to bring it about. I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't talk about it. It was just too overwhelming for me. But all night, I was in a different realm than the rest of the people in that room. And as the group dissipated and as people left and we said goodbyes, there was a moment when I just got up because I just couldn't sit still anymore. And I walked around and I wandered into the bedroom that I grew up in. And I just looked around at the walls again another time. And it seemed like they were brighter. It seemed a little bit different the unique thing of all was, I just glanced over, and there in my open suitcase was the original papers that I needed for the services in the church. I looked for them, I couldn't find them. I knew I had packed them, but I'd lost them. But God was faithful in so many ways. I had to go to my father and say to him, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I hated my childhood. And I have held things against you. And I need you to forgive me. You see, I forgave him standing on the other side of that king size bed. But there was still so much stuff that I felt the anger rise up in a moment of time and knew that I wasn't healed yet. I had forgiven but there was work to be done. But then part of that work was asking him to forgive me. And I said, Dad, I'm really sorry. I haven't been the best son. I haven't loved you the way a son needs to love you. I haven't, I haven't cared about you the way a son should care about his father. And I haven't honored you the way that a son should honor a father. I'm really sorry. And that crazy old man looked at me and said, You know what? I've always loved you just the same from day one, just like I love your brother. (laughs) Well, I didn't know it, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but he did. He did. I still don't know why he didn't come to my graduation. I still don't know why he didn't come to my wedding. I don't know why. Here's what I know. I know that for whatever reason, he couldn't. He couldn't do it. And I'll never know what that is, because he's with Jesus now. But I met a man that I did not know, and he was my father, and he loved me. And through forgiveness and asking for forgiveness, I found an amazing level of freedom for my life. And that's my testimony. Amen. Okay, let's finish this series on forgiveness. (laughs) Let's talk about this. I'm not going to rehearse a whole lot of what I said last Sunday. Uh, It is on the podcast, so you can certainly listen to that. Uh, Hopefully a lot of you uh, downloaded the sheet that was attached to the e-blast and worked through that over the week. If you didn't, you can still go to the e-blast from last week and do that. It will be on the podcast page as well on on the website. Uh, and all it is is it 's just a sheet where you can just check off those situations, circumstances, and individuals where you know something happened in your history, and it is requiring you to forgive that person and um, I'm sure for some of you, this was a great challenge. For some of you, maybe it was an easy thing to do, but definitely a great challenge for some of you, as it has been for me on the numerous times that I've taken a sheet like this and sat down and gone through it. You see, you will be able to forgive people at whatever level you are capable, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, all right? And you can do that. But you will need from time to time to go back and rehearse again your history and go deeper than what you originally went. And sometimes that will require you to forgive the same person again. Maybe even rehearse some of that same issue or that same injury that happened in your life. But the intent is that you are continually being cleansed, all right? The Bible says you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved, all right? You are cleansed and sanctified because Jesus bought you with the blood on the cross of Calvary, but you are being sanctified because the work of the Holy Spirit and the washing of truth is taking place in your life, and you will be sanctified because when you see Him, you will be like Him, all right? And so this is a progressive, ongoing work that we do called deliverance, and a great part of deliverance, and this is why we're talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness, before we talk about other things like rejection and shame and insecurity and inferiority and all of these sorts of things because a lot of this lies inside this bed of forgiveness and unforgiveness. And what you are able to do in terms of forgiveness has a tremendous impact on how you handle these other areas of your life and these strongholds or these footholds of the enemy that he has gotten into your life in, okay? And so it's very, very important that you and I begin to understand the powerful work of forgiveness and being forgiven, not just being forgiven by Jesus uh, but being forgiven by others. And here's what I want you to understand. And this is, this is not an indictment against any pastor anywhere, any, in any place, at any time. But a lot of times, our pastors, like me, we love to preach the good news to you. And so we preach the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, almost to the mistake of saying, in essence, that's all you need, all right? You just need to be forgiven by Jesus, and you'll just feel all better, and it'll be all great, and it's a great life, and all that kind of stuff. I'm guilty, all right? But the reality is forgiveness goes so much deeper than that. And understanding the power of forgiveness and its level of authority in our lives to release us and to release others ...from things. It's something that you and I need to not only comprehend, but we need to begin to implement and practice that in our lives on a continuous basis. We said last week that the end times, according to Matthew chapter 24, there will be many who will be offended, all right? And they will even betray one another, and they will hate one another, okay? And there will be many false prophets that will rise up, and they'll tell you things that are false, and they are deceptive, and they are lies of the enemy, okay? but the reality is that that does not permit you and I to walk in offense, all right? You and I must be a people who are capable of being unoffendable. In other words, we are so full of God, we are so uh, complete in our identity in Christ that we are not capable of taking on that offense, all right? That whatever the enemy throws at us as a fiery dart against us, it will fall short, All right. Uh, Because we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and we have a good, healthy identity of who we are in Christ. All right. So that is very, very important for us. All right. Um, And so what I want to do today is I want to just pick up kind of where we left off last week. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about some of this poison and toxic toxic side of unforgiveness and then I want to take you through a cycle uh, to help you to see how offense registers in your life, and then a cycle of how to come against that and actually work through forgiving someone, all right? And so we're going to look at that uh, together. Uh, hopefully, we'll have enough time to do all this, but I'm going to have to go through this very quickly with you today, okay? So. Um, if there's, there's something that, that you need, um, then uh, later we can certainly talk about it, all right? Uh, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to just try to open your heart to the Spirit of God and let God just speak to you today, all right? Through the words I'm speaking and through the things that I've shared in my own testimony with you and what Jan shared last week, um, my prayer is that today you're just open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do And you really don't necessarily need someone like a guide to walk you through these sorts of things. The Holy Spirit is the most wonderful comforter, teacher, companion to you. And if you will just let the Holy Spirit fill you up with his power, uh, you will be able to walk through this uh, with the Lord. Okay, so I, I, I want you to understand that you and I cannot wait until someone else makes amends or repents for us to forgive. All right, we don't have to wait for the other person. We don't have; they don't have to get on board, so to speak. All right, um, the Bible teaches exactly the opposite. All right, wrongful injury or, or hurt uh, becomes an opportunity. Hear this, please. It's an opportunity for you and I to display a wonderful, life-changing grace that we have from God. All right, so when, when someone comes against you and they hurt you or they wound you in some way or you suddenly are at a place where you can recall a wounding in your life and please understand that is something that can happen you can go years before you actually understand the depth of a wound or, or before it is actually at, you are at a place where it can come up when you are children and young adults sometimes when you have very traumatic wounds in your life you, you have no other defense mechanism than to bury it all right? You just put it down there somewhere. You put a lock and key around it, and it stays there because your, your psyche just is not capable of handling that trauma at that particular point. This is a lot of why sometimes you, you realize that kids lose a voice, so to speak. They have an inability to talk about a trauma or a hurt. It's because they don't know how. They don't know how. They don't have the vocabulary to speak it out. And because they don't, they just bury it, you know. But a lot more gets buried with that trauma than just the trauma itself. But sometimes people reach a place, or we reach a place with God where God opens us up. Sometimes God will say, I just want you to take my hand, and I, I want to walk you to a place, and I to take you there and you know what if God's taking you there you can go there all right you can go there with the Lord because his intent is your good and his intent is to help you to be better than you are right now and sometimes he will take you to those hurtful places in order for you to heal for him to be able to open your heart and show it to you is a very difficult thing but if he is there He is with you, and He is good, all right? And so I want you to to grab a hold of that truth that God is good wherever He's walking you. But it was 30 years at one point. I was 30-plus years old before I dealt with one of the terrible, haunting issues of my childhood, and I could not even verbalize it until a counselor took me through that particular situation and that particular issue, all right? And so there are later times when some of these things will rise up, okay? But you don't wait to forgive until the other person gives. Gets there all right you and i show the love of god we show the power of the holy spirit that we received in our new birth according to romans 5 5 okay and what god expects us to do and and to be are empowered agents of his grace all right we are called to the ministry of reconciliation that means we're called to help in the process of reconciling others to god and so that requires for you and i To forgive at all levels, at all depths, all right? And so that is God's command to us. See, love never fails in any situation or problem. Love is always a a part of God's solution, all right? In every relationship, in every situation, we act out of love. Forgiveness never fails, all right? Um, when you forgive someone else, you are actually fulfilling the will of God in that relationship. If you hold on to it and you walk in unforgiveness, you are walking contrary to God, all right? And that's what we need to understand. It's, I know it's very difficult, but forgiveness will liberate you and I from the painful past. Uh, it will move you into a real and, and uh, natural future that God has for your life. If you don't forgive people, you suffer, and sometimes that suffering is very much a torment, and that torment is you being locked up and bound in a history that you never leave, all right? God doesn't want you to stay back there. The Apostle Paul even says it. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, all right, I press on towards the future. I am never going to get through all of this today. Um, when the Apostle Paul says forgetting what is behind, he is that word that he is using is in no means forgetting. In other words, I never recall it. I don't think about it anymore. It's gone out of my mind, and so I'm just at peace, and it's an it's a oozy, wonderful place. All right? That is not what Paul is saying. That is not the word that he is using. What Paul is using there when he uses that term, forgetting what is in the past or forgetting what is behind, he is saying that that is in the past, that that is behind me, no longer has power over me. It no longer has the ability to to affect my decision-making. In other words, it doesn't rule over me. It doesn't capture me. It doesn't take hold of me, all right? I'm free of that past, so now I can move on. All right, so I'm looking ahead, I'm looking forward because I'm not looking through the rearview mirror of my life, all right? And that's where God wants you and I to live is forward thinking, forward acting, forward responding so that the past doesn't hold us and it doesn't capture us. When you don't forgive someone, you take that person and you bring them back to the date and the time and the exact moment of that trauma or that injury or that wound and you hold them right there. All right? And the only thing that can happen if you hold them there is that you stay with them. You stay right there with them. You never move. You never get away from that. You, 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 you hold on to that and some people just entrench themselves in that. They can't get away from it. Every, have, you, have you met someone like that where every time you talk to them eventually they're going to bring up the same old wound, the same old injury, the same old place in their lives. It's because they have entrenched themselves around it. They're holding on to it and they're never moving on. God wants you to be free from that place and that is what the power of forgiveness does. It liberates you. It unlocks that place and allows you to move away from that. Even if the other person doesn't, it allows you to move. And you know what you do? By forgiving that person, you free them. They may not cooperate with you. They may not cooperate with God. They may not be cooperating with anything. But that is not your responsibility. That is God's, all right? And so what I want you to understand is that you have the ability to liberate yourself and move on and to liberate that person so if they so choose, they can move on as well, all right? And so that is one of the great powers of forgiveness. Now, in this passage in Ephesians that we are talking about here today... There were a number of things, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk really going through them fast with you today because I want to get to this cycle. I need to leave you with this visual of what you need to do to be able to forgive other people, okay? Um, but there are seven things that we read about today in this particular passage. One was corrupt talk. Another was bitterness. Another was wrath, all right? Another was anger. Another was clamor. Another was slander. And the last one was malice. All these things are listed in the context of this little passage that says you need to forgive one another. What I'm going to tell you is this. If those are identifiers, if, if those are markers of your personality and of your life, especially in terms of relationships with others, especially intimate relationships with family and loved ones and and a close circle of friends, if that is the patterns that come out in your life as you're relating to other people, you are in the most toxic wasteland that you could possibly be in because every one of those are born out of the river of unforgiveness and they flow right into the heart to simply poison it and to destroy your ability to love others and to be Christ-like. And we could we could go through all of them and talk about each of them and talk about the different aspects of them today. But but time doesn't permit that. But maybe you could do a study on just what those those uh, rivers of, of toxic waste, uh, spiritually speaking, are. Okay, and and I want you to understand that there are some of them that are very powerful and and are more identifiable than others. All right, uh, there are actually. Uh, 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 some amazing parallels that you can draw here to Bible characters and, and uh, people in the Scriptures who, whose lives got destroyed because they could not forgive. They could not live out the forgiveness of God, okay? And bitterness is one of the big ones. And so I just want to talk about that one for just a moment, all right? Because bitterness is this, this sort of fretted, irritable state of mind uh, that keeps someone just, just absolutely perpetually in animosity against others all right and here's the thing we I I use these words and I, I speak them out to you and I say bitterness I say anger I say malice these kinds of things and and it sounds loud it sounds big it sounds powerful doesn't it but the reality is some of the quietest most uh loving gentle appearing people can be eat up with these things and you will never know it now here's a scarier thought Some of you are sitting here, and like me, you're identifying yourself as being a good, godly Christian, and you're trying to love your family, and you're trying to overcome difficulties and situations in your life. But some of these things, they rise up in you as God's people sitting right here in the pew or in the chair, all right? We're sitting here, and we are battling with some of these things, and a lot of it is internal. Listen, I didn't just hate my dad suddenly when I saw my 2-year-old on his shoulders. It wasn't that I just suddenly decided, I hate you. No, that, had, that was brewing from childhood. But it took God, by the Holy Spirit, taking the veils off my eyes and seeing, Bill, when you were this age and you approached your dad this way and he did this, you responded this way. That was out of anger. That was out, you hated him. God took me back to a place where I remember. It was as though I was looking upon my own little form as a young boy, and I heard the words come out of my mouth, I wish you were dead. That is not me. But I am like Paul. The thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do is the very thing I end up doing. I am wretched. My righteousness is like filthy rags, and so is yours. We are all in this place. We all live in this broken world, and we all are human, and yet the Spirit has come upon us and redeemed us and called us out of that sin, and we are serving God. Yet there are places where we have given a foothold, as the Bible says, to the devil. Then, when you get hurt and you choose to unforgive, that is a foothold. You've opened the door and the devil has come in. The devil, that word for foothold is, is in the Greek is tapos. All right, tapos means a place which is being given to someone who has authority to rule. And so what you and I do when we walk in unforgiveness is we give a small place of our heart that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ to the enemy, and we give him authority to hold on to that peace and to operate out of that in our lives. Heaven forbid. But that's why you will do the things you don't want to do and you won't do the things you need to do is because the enemy has a place. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. I'm not saying you're even demon oppressed. You probably are. Okay, demon oppressed, not possessed. But the enemy is oppressing you. The enemy is battling you. The enemy is coming against you. But here's the problem. The more we give into that tapos, the more we give into that authority of the enemy, the more we take on that poison of bitterness and anger and resentment and all these kinds of things, the deeper it works in us and the greater the place of authority the enemy has in our life. And so we have to be able to understand, go back behind it and understand how did I get here? How did I get to this place? Scott, can you give me that first diagram? No, the other one, please. I'm sorry. This one, yeah, thank you. The Bible says offense will come. It's going to come, it's going to happen. You are going to get offended. And you're probably going to get offended by people that you hang around with the most eventually. It's just the odds are there, okay? And so if you are committed to the body of Christ, ladies, you all committed today. Well, somebody in this church who's a covenant member is going to offend you sooner or later. Get ready, all right? But I took you in as members today because I'm confident that through teaching and sound biblical principles, you're going to be able to handle that offense and in the right spirit, in the right way, and offer forgiveness all right? But wounds are received. They come to us. That's the first step, all right? You get wounded. That can happen at an age before you can even articulate it, all right? You can get hurt. You can get abandoned. You can get rejected. Uh, you, you can get bullied. You, all, all, you can get sexually abused. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen to you, and they speak messages, lies to you, all right? All right? And so you will very likely, even at a young age, have some type of ungodly response to your wounds. It's almost inevitable. And honestly, in all of my counseling and all of Pastor Dave's counseling, I don't think either of us have met someone who didn't initially have an ungodly response to a deep wounding or hurt. All right? It's It's the natural man that responds immediately. The natural woman responds to that that hurt all right and so that hurt is in response to the wound that is felt the wound you can't do anything about it it comes all right all right and so then you respond to the wound but then what happens is because of the ungodly response topples enters in in other words the door opens to the enemy all right and so then if there's another wound or you revisit that wound, you open that door a little bit more and a little bit more because you're offended, uh, then you, you, you won't forgive, and then you want that person to be judged, and then you want to punish them yourself, uh, and then you get really angry, and then bitterness sets in, and then there's malice because you're going to get even with that person somewhere down the road, all that kind of stuff. you know. And so all, as, as those things are happening, you're just opening the door more and more for the enemy. Really what you're doing is you're putting a feeding tube right up to your heart from the the pit of hell, and you're letting the enemy just pour toxic waste on your plate, spiritually speaking. That's what's happening when you and I do that, okay? And so so we give ground, all right? We give authority to the enemy there, okay? And then what happens after that is that there is a a behavior uh, or a response, all right, from us, and oftentimes that will offend others, and this is what the devil would really like. Once you're caught up in this offense and you're carrying this offense, there's, there's a cliche in counseling circles, uh, hurting people hurt others. All right, it, it happens. It just does. And so when you got a church where people are very wounded, they start to hurt each other. They don't mean to hurt each other. They don't intend to hurt each other. But because of the wounding and because there's been some authority that's been given over to the enemy, their responses, their behavior that happens. All right? It hurts someone else. And so the enemy just has a heyday, and it just gets around, and it just exacerbates the whole dynamic of the church. And you can go in some churches, folks, and it's like, whoa. I mean, you, you can feel the conflict in the air. You know, you can just, you know this is not a healthy environment. You know? And I would say run. All right? Because you can't get healthy in unhealthiness. You have, you have to step out of that, all right, so you can begin to see and respond properly, all right? So you begin to respond, and that response can, can hurt other people, all right? And then what happens after that is the other person's reaction to your behavior reinforces the wounds that you already have, and the cycle starts all over again. This is what's happening with my dad. I felt abandoned. I felt hurt. I felt like he didn't care about me or he didn't love me. He, he, that man didn't throw the picture in the ditch. My dad did. Do you understand how your thinking goes? So all of the, the venom was bent towards my dad. Very soon, forgot about the guy in, in the black Cadillac. Forgot about Boston School of Art. All right? All I could think about was my dad and what he had done. He threw my, my, my drawings in the ditch, see? But then... When he didn't come to my graduation, not only did he didn't care about my future when I was in the ninth grade, he didn't care about my future when I was in the twelfth grade. And then when he didn't come to my wedding, see, each time it reinforced. It was Once again, there was a reinforcement that was going on. This is what the enemy wants to do to every one of you. He wants to reinforce the wound and the hurt in your life and keep you in that cycle so that you are constantly going around over and over And you never break the cycle. You never get out of that place. You never walk in true freedom because you cannot get beyond forgiveness, unforgiveness, okay? All right, Scott, can you show me the next one? I got to wrap this up. I'm I'm three minutes over now, okay? Ah, I love this stuff. I, I love doing things that help us get free all right? And these, these, these things may seem insignificant on their own, but they're very powerful, powerful things for all of us, okay? I want to take you through a system. You can modify this very much, all right? But take you through a system of how you can forgive others, all right? So you take that sheet that I gave you with the list of all the authority figures represented where this is a per- my father, my mother, my stepfather, my stepmother, a police officer, a counselor, a teacher, a, a business associate, a boss, a, a whoever, you know, but someone who wounded you that had some kind of influence Uh, ...or or you are in their circle or sphere of influence, all right? You identify who those people are and you start to willfully forgive them. This is a a process that you can go through to be able to do that, okay? So the first thing you do is you realize that there is an injustice, all right? There is a hurt that has been experienced, all right? It's very legitimate. You got to legitimize the hurt or the wound, all right? You don't let it consume you. You don't let it take you over, all right? It doesn't have that kind of power. You're just legitimizing the reality that I have been deeply hurt by someone and there is a problem here and I'm going to have to deal with it, all right? I've experienced this hurt. And then what you do, using like a list, like what I gave you, you pray the prayer, a similar prayer to what I have put on that list for you, okay? Asking the Holy Spirit to direct you and guide you, all right? Don't go to someone, if you're not feeling that God is really directing you, don't go to that person. Go where God is telling you to go, and and offer what God is giving you to offer, okay? So you identify, and you name, and you forgive, all right? You identify the experience, the trauma, the hurt, the wound, and then you name the person who is the perpetrator or the betrayer or whatever, all right? You name them, all right? And you forgive, all right? And that's that's the... Like, that's the most important, like, step over, okay, is, is that, that, that you are able to forgive, all right? And then the third piece in the process is that you identify and you confess your sin responses. That was the hard part for me because I had to say, you know what, I hated my dad. I wanted my dad to die. I remember God brought back to me later on when I was a bit older how selfish I was. I wanted my parents to get a divorce, Because I had friends whose parents got divorced, and his life was easier. And I thought, ah, if I can get my parents to divorce, I could have more manipulative power, and I can probably get more of what I want. See, I had become so self-centered in my woundedness, and I was now self-preserving. I wanted to preserve myself at all costs, even at the expense of my own parents' marriage. So I had to confess that. I had to ask God to forgive me for being so selfish and wanting the demise of my own parents' uh, lives together, okay? So you got to look at the thoughts, the actions, the emotions. This is where you look at anger and malice and resentment and and, uh, all these kinds of different things that can poison you and can be toxic, okay? And then you have to confess them to God. All right, and you have to ask God to forgive you through His Son, Jesus Christ. You say, well, when I got saved, God forgave me for everything. He did. He certainly did. And I'm not discounting that at all, but I'm telling you for your health and for your well-being, the ability to go back and to identify where you have transgressed and not only identify it but confess individually because, you know what, the devil will come back and tell you that, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that and you did this and you did that and he'll try to to condemn you and shame you and guilt you. No, you can say, you know what, I went through this whole thing. I did the work with the, with the power of God's Holy Spirit. I did the work. I looked at every one of these situations. I confessed every one of them. And according to Scripture, I am free. I am forgiven. I am set free. You cannot hold this over me. There is no shame. There is no guilt. There is co- no condemnation over my life because it is cleared out. And you know what? God says that when He forgives, He forgets. He puts it in this river of forgetfulness, whatever that looks like, and it's done. So don't bring something up to me that God doesn't even remember, all right? So this is power for you to fight against the adversarial forces that are coming against your mind and driving you spiritually crazy at times, okay? That's what we're doing, all right? So then you repent of and you resist then going back into those same kind of sin responses, all right? Whatever's been your self-protection mechanism, all right, you got you to be able to confess that and say, okay, God, this is what I do. Every time something like this happens, this is what I do, you know? I am the big shutdown guy, all right? I, I start to feel threatened, or I start to feel inferior, or I start to feel like someone's discounting me in some way. You know what I do? I just got a little switch. It's all imaginary, but it's the most real thing in the world. I just flip it, and I'm done. You couldn't talk to me. You, I'm a brick wall. I am cement, All right? I have have put cement all the way around my heart, and you will never, ever, 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 ever get in there if I do that. But you know what? Now I know I do it. Because of God's grace and God's healing and God's revelation, I know that that switch is there. And you know what? I don't have to flip it. You know how I know that? If I was still flipping that switch you'd have never heard my story this morning. You'd have never heard. I'd have put that somewhere. I would have buried that in a box and locked it up so deep and none of you would ever have heard that because it's just too hard, too hard, okay? Then, then, when you have reached this next level, you are able to actually look at that person and bless them. Bless them and release them. With prayers for sure, possibly with words if necessary, and maybe even actions if they are needed. All right? I remember thinking, God, this is so hard. I I just have to keep forgiving my dad. I have to keep forgiving my dad. I hate all the times that people see our wedding pictures and my father isn't in there and everyone thinks my father's dead and he's not. He's just sitting in his chair at home. You know? I look at that. And I think, God, why do I have to keep rehearsing this? I keep telling people. And then people just look at me and go, what? What in the world? Why? You know, I still remember the, the, the reception at the wedding and all the aunties on my wife's side of the family going, well, where is your father? Well, I don't really know. You know, trying not to be angry at my own wedding, trying not to be hurt at my own wedding, trying not to be sad at my own wedding and blaming him for it, you know? But, but, but one day I said to my wife, or I just said it out. I just said it. I said, I do not understand why my dad did not show up for my wedding. I just don't understand. I don't have an answer for anybody. And she looked at me and she said, I don't either. But I know that he couldn't. And it was like the grace of God was sufficient. And God came into my heart. And I realized that for whatever reason, my poor dad, who I learned later only got a ninth grade education, who never had a father and so many other awful things. For whatever reason, he just couldn't do it. And I was able to bless him and to forgive him completely, completely. I preached his funeral. I couldn't have done that if I held animosity and unforgiveness against him. And then I love number six. The cycle repeats and deepens. You have to go back again and again and look at these things and talk about these things. But every time you go deeper, every time you get a little farther, every time your heart's a little cleaner. It's like you got a big old jug of muddy, nasty water and you just stick a hose in there and turn the water on and fresh water just goes in and it just pushes all the old stuff out. And when you leave it there long enough, after a few minutes or so, it starts to get clear. All the the residue is starting to just boil out on the outside and running over. And eventually, if you leave it there long enough, you'll have a pure bucket of water. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And so each time you go through the cycle, you get closer and closer and closer. We have to be done, all right? Let me tell you something today. If you're sitting here and all of this is making a lot of sense to you and you're going, but I never knew this and I don't, I don't understand this forgiveness thing really well. Well, it starts with Jesus, all right? It starts with the fact that God so loved you that he gave his son to forgive you of your sin, something you could not do for yourself. So the Father has forgiven you through Jesus Christ, done what you could not do for you, all right? That is the beginning point and from there, that same Jesus Will walk with you and fill you with His Spirit and His power, and He will help you to be able to do these other things and overcome these areas in your life, all right? And a church body like this would be able to help you to do that as well. We would come along beside you and around you to be able to help you to do that, all right? But it begins with Jesus, first and foremost. You'll never be able to go through this cycle if Jesus is not at the center. Volitional forgiveness comes through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit power is available at every stage of the cycle and at every time that you go through the cycle, okay? So, If you want prayer today, we would love to pray with you. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up and stand here uh, with me. And if you need prayer, any one of them will pray for you today and we'll get you on the right track. If you're struggling with the cycle uh, and you know that there's something that's got to be done, but you just are not there yet and you're wrestling with all of this today, come and let one of these people pray for you today and they will minister to you and help you walk through that. All right. I've given you a lot of tools and I've said a lot today. I hope you got it. All right, if you don't, we'll rehearse it. Go to the podcast. We'll get some, some of this material on, on the, the screen, on, on the Facebook page or the, the website, one or the other, or just stop by my office, all right? We'll help you, all right? Don't live in bondage. Please, please, freedom has been paid for with the greatest price that could ever be paid, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. So, whom the Son sets free... It's free indeed. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, I love these people sitting here in this room. I'm so thankful for every one of them, God. I'm thankful for the story that they represent, the history that is in their lives. And I know, God, for sure that there are things that are not good, but there are good things too. God, help them to hold on to the good and cling to it. Help them to let go of the the bad. And those places where they need to come to you, Lord, and receive from you, let them come boldly and confidently, Lord, as your child, as your son or daughter. And those places where they need to forgive and let go and release, I pray, God, that they will be able to do it now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we ask you to work with them. Open their hearts to receive. Give them the courage and the faith to be able to forgive and release. Help them to use these tools to do whatever they need to do to be able to be free, God. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our freedom. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Go in peace.